What's going on, everybody? It's me. It's me. It's the P-R-I-M-E. Coming at you guys with another episode of the Prime Nostalgia Podcast. I am with L-E-E-B-O-Y-T-V. And we got a guest. We got Indy and Muggie because they're all prime. And they can do a lot. She knows a lot. I'm going to just say she knows a lot because she does. Uh, What's up, India? Hello. How y'all doing? We are good. Well, I don't know about him. I'm good. Considering. Considering. I'm doing all right, y'all. So if I get a little quiet in this interview, it's because my internet is unstable. They're telling me right now. So it is no offense to India. I have a lot of questions. But uh, Prime, you're going to have to read my mind on this one. <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, first question I want to ask you, or, well, not question, really, just, like, talk about this dance thing. How did you get into dance? How did I get into dance? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if we want to go way back, to the beginning, um, according to my mother, I danced before I could walk. Um, and I was always just, whenever there was music around, I was always wiggling, as she said. Um, <laughs> so uh, she put me in a ballet class, um, but we were military, so I moved around a lot, so I could never get with the studio. Um, and then when we were living in Hampton, Virginia, we were at this church and they had praise dancers, which was, you know, like it's liturgical dance. It's it's very close to. There's a lot of um, like West African elements as well as like lyrical dance. And um, the the teacher, the the person who was a, the head of the dance ministry, was actually a former Ailey dancer. And she was just like, you know, whatever you do, talking to my mom, whatever you do, just keep this girl in some sort of dance. And because we were always traveling, always bouncing from place to place, the only consistent thing that I had when we would go to a new church was my mom would always put me in the dance ministry. So I really started my career dancing for Jesus. Uh, and, and when you say Ailey, you mean Alvin. That's Alvin Ailey, the famous Alvin Ailey. Mm-hmm. 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 Nice. All right, Lee, well, you got something you want to say, or you just want me to take over the whole interview? What's no, up? no, no, no. I mean, because... Um, you know, I got a little tr- training, a little dance training. Um, <laughs> Would you Ailey too? Come on. You know, I actually have been to the studio out in New York. I think mm-hmm. when I was maybe 10 years old, long, long time ago. I don't know if it's still there, so I don't want to act like I'm like all up on it. But <laughs> um, but more, I also have training in like uh, in theater. And uh, so that's how I came up. How would you say that has played into your career because you do phenomenal uh, in your role i've seen a little bit of, of american soul and uh i you know i always attribute some of my dance background to my ability to kind of you know feel different emotions and express those how has it helped you in your acting career and uh, have you seen any crossover between the skills that it takes between acting and dancing um i would say because i i started you know, doing plays and stuff uh, in community theater um, before before I went to college, before I got um, my my classical training. Um, I would definitely say it's helped um, because for so much of dance, you're you're not allowed to use your words. You're not allowed to express yourself verbally. So you have to be a nonverbal communicator. You have to make sure the person up in the rafters who paid fifteen dollars for their ticket gets the same or a good enough show um, that they can um, take with them and experience as well. So you have to be very big and expressive in your body. Um, I had this one dance uh, teacher that was like, if your back is to the audience on stage, I wanna hear your back talk. So like there's never a point in time where you know, you're just standing there. Like you always have to be saying something, say it with your shoulders. Um, and so in bringing that to finally being able to speak, finally being able to use my words, it was so, um, for me, it was very, uh, it was a very interesting mix of me being able to use my body and use my words. Um, I would hope that audiences, um, are able to, (laughs) uh, glean different things from each of my performances, um, my first episode of American Soul, I didn't have very many lines. Um, I danced and then I just had a lot of reaction shots. And so mm-hmm. it was just like, okay, well, I mean, I can lean on my nonverbal communication skills because I have them. 
Um, I need to show that this girl is sinister. I need to show that she's got um, ulterior motives. And I think I can do that without words. So I would think it was helpful. Dope, dope. And, and before we get too much into American Soul, because I know Prime has a lot of questions about that. He put me on game on a few episodes, but <laughs> I'm always airing Prime out. He's looking at me crazy. Um, <laughs> what are some of like uh, some some cool roles that you can talk about from your theater background? I don't know if you've had any famous roles that you can recall back famous. to that or uh, or, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just asking. I'm, I'm just um, asking. <laughs> I mean, there was this one time I was a sunflower. No. Um, <laughs> uh, I know how that is for sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, I did, I did plays throughout college, throughout undergrad. Um, but roles that you guys would know, like I was, I was in The Wiz um, on NBC. Um, so I was a poison poppy, which I've wanted to be since I was a little girl. Um, and I was a poison poppy, a munchkin. Um, I was in the Emerald City. I was a, a bougie bitch in Emerald City. And wait, can I cuss? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you good? You good? Okay. <laughs> uh, we don't have much have worse, fun. so I'm telling you, good. <laughs> much worse, yes. Um, in the Emerald City. Um, and yeah, I, I was, um, I was an ensemble player um, for uh, Spider-Man on Broadway, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. So uh, yeah, just there, I've always, I was always very comfortable in the background. Like I love costumes. I love being a part of an ensemble. I'm great at, you know, following what other people are doing and making sure that we all look the same. I'm really good at getting everybody clean or whatever. So I never really had, um, excuse me, I never really had um, a desire to like be the star, be the lead in anything. I was always really, really happy um, being an ensemble character. And then I found out what the lead got paid. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's so like multiples. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to, oh, we're buying houses. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to do that then. I want to do, cause I'm a Capricorn. So really, you know, it's financially motivated, not mm. so much. I need to be the star. If the ensembles were getting paid when they were getting paid, I'd be cool back here being a poison poppy. I'm fine with that. And and Capricorn is December, right? January. I'm January. But January. Okay. January. Okay. And then one follow up about the Wiz. Uh, was you green, red, or gold? Wouldn't be caught dead red, or um, so <laughs> want to be seen say- green? <laughs> The, all of them, yeah. The, um, the Wiz Live, we did the Broadway version of the Wiz because it mm. came out um, on Broadway in the mm. 70s, in the early 70s and then it was made into the film in the late 70s. Um, so the film took liberties that weren't necessarily on, on the stage. So we were always green. It was the Emerald City. Okay. Right. So you, I didn't I, know as much as I thought. Yeah, I, thought <laughs> I was trying to throw something out there. <laughs> Oh, you're fine. You'll find me. I have a I have a green pompadour. My um the the hairstylist uh, fashioned my wig after Janelle Monae because he was a really big Janelle Monae fan. Mm-hmm. Found some Janelle Monae pictures and we did the wig like how when Janelle Monae used to just wear her pompadour all the time. I mean, who's not a fan of Janelle Monae? I mean, as soon as you started oh. saying her name, you started doing this like I'm like that's that's Monae. <laughs> what you got for it, Brian? Nah, I just wanted to. I'm, I don't want to get on American Soul that much because you, you know, you got more stuff than American Soul. But um, your last episode was like one of the one of the best, I guess, character episodes in the uh, show. Okay. The episode. <laughs> Basically, if y'all don't know, she's uh she's a dancer on the show. She's like the main dancer in the Soul Train. And then, uh, you know, she dances with another company. Don doesn't like it. Says she shouldn't get paid and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then at the end, he felt bad. He gave her money. She was like, nah, I'm gone, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and that's what happened. She, she left. 
what I just want to say like that. That scene is just good. I ain't had no question. I just want to say that scene. Oh. <laughs> that was a good character scene. Yeah. yeah. He's just reminiscing. Uh, and and your character's Flo Flo Davis, right? Is that Flo Davis? Flo Davis is an amalgamation of like four or five different real dancers um, mm. from Soul Train in the early 1970s. Um, she is not a real life person, but um, I definitely pull from the stories of the real dancers, most definitely. Um, actually, the like my I came in on the second uh, the second episode, so they had already been filming for a week. Um, people were already starting to get to know each other, and I was just like, you know, they they just dropped me in. Um, I, I had to me and my dance partner Dana. We got there. On, we were on the same flight. We got there at the same time. We um, were like rushed over to like hair and makeup, um, getting in our costumes, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you still you have to dance today." So, we're, like behind the big Soul Train sign, like we're behind that set, and we're learning it <laughs> with um, the choreographer's assistant, with Fatima Robinson's assistant. Um, his name is Adrian Wilshire. Yeah, Fatima. Fatima Robinson, yo. Uh, yeah. Whew. Oh my God, she um, is legendary. Like completely, complete. It was the the first time that I auditioned for her as a I was a dancer, you know, in LA in like 2012. It was the first time I auditioned for her, and it was just like I'm gonna learn steps. From <laughs> I auditioned for her so many times before she ever booked me on anything, um, and it was just so cool. Like it was. Um, um, going back, I was in the show, uh, Fela. Um, it was, it was on Broadway for a little while. I did the tour and I was an ensemble, uh, character and, um, we were in LA and everybody was buzzing. They're like, oh my gosh, Fatima Robinson's in the audience. Oh my gosh, Fatima Robinson is in the audience. This was like 2013. And so, you know, I had a solo that night. So I was like, I'm about to, I'm about to. I'm about to eat this up tonight. She gonna see me. Had a little yellow skirt on, green crochet bra top. I was ready, and I did my thing. Okay, and okay. Don't tell me you failed tonight. All right, good. Um, she came back stage because she wanted to talk to the dancer. She was like, "You guys are so great. I love what you're doing." Blah blah blah. And so we're all like little kids. Like, thank you so much. You know. Uh, you know. Fast forward two years. I had auditioned for her a bunch more times for like Pharrell and all those other things. She hadn't picked me. And um, so we get to the Wiz audition and we had done multiple rounds. I'd been making it past multiple rounds of cuts. So we get down to like, my group is maybe now like 20 girls um, from like the first 500 down to like 20. And she gets, she's looking at my resume and she was like, oh, you did Fela? And I was like, I was like, yeah, I did Fela. She was like, you had on a yellow skirt. And I was like, mm -hmm. hey, <laughs> oh snaps. <laughs> you remember me? <laughs> um, I've always been in love with Fatima Robinson, Rich and Tone, um, Aaliyah, that whole, like, that tribe, that, that late 90s, early 2000s, that just, like, that energy. She's, like, such a goddess, such a queen. Um, she's so um, minimalist. Like, she, she's not a person that yells. She's not a person that is like very um, controlling. She's very collaborative. Um, she loves to hear what the artists have to say. And so it's like, wait, you you care about how I did this step? Yeah. So working with her again on, on this project, which was completely different from the other projects that we've worked together on, um, was just like, she called me after, after the first season. She was just like, I'm really proud of you. And I'm like, Thank you so much for choosing me. I appreciate you. I mean, that's it's always good to have a, a good instructor. Uh, go ahead, go with you. Is gonna say, prime. But now I was gonna say real quick. I got a question for you because I think you might have had a similar situation to her when uh, it was already a cast that was there and they already knew each other, and then you got dropped in. So how was that for you? Because I never asked you that. Sorry to just derail well, off the off the pie. Oh no, no, you get uh, well for me, you know, um, you know, I get in where I fit in. I never even it never was no sweat off my back. Uh, but also I had Amanda Bynes there. We was like both like the same exact age, so we just kind of clicked in crazy because she didn't have no one else to really hang out with. 
And then also, I think school gives a different element when you have to go to school on set because you guys just come become buddies, right? Um, but most of all, I'm just cool as hell, dog. I'm I'm just cool. So, uh, you know, <laughs> just on the just because we got off uh, on that teacher, um, and and having a, a teacher that is supportive is just like so important for your development because sometimes those uh you know them. So dance teachers can be scary as hell. Like, <laughs> you ain't doing this or that right. And uh, it, obviously, it takes a lot of discipline to be a part of that culture. Do you have uh, any horror stories as far as a, a teacher that you just could not get with or that was always nitpicking the way you was pointing your toe or you couldn't get this position right? Or <laughs> <laughs> So there's one. Um, so, you know, dancers, we're, we're a lot more uh, used to abuse anyway so for the most part nobody had ever really like broke me down because i always knew that they wanted they wanted me to be better so whether they were yelling at me or screaming at me or telling me that i wasn't you know that i wasn't getting the step right or i wasn't getting um the position right like that never harmed me maybe i'm a, I'm a little bit of a masochist so i never felt i never felt any way about it there was this one teacher Ms. Karen McDonald, um, uh, she was my Horton teacher, and uh, if, you know we I taking class when you after you learn the combination, you know she would call out a person or two to like perform the piece so that the rest of the class can see it, and she would say what she liked about that, what that person was doing, how they were, where the breath was, where they were, how they were carrying or whatever, and. Um, you know, I had never gotten picked. I wasn't, I wasn't tripping off of it because that's also a lot of pressure. Like you're dancing in front of all these other dancers. Everybody's really catty or whatever. So, you know, I, again, me, I'm cool in the ensemble. Just, you know, put me back there. Nobody has to really pay too much attention to me. This particular day, she calls me out and I'm like, oh, I must have been killing it today because Miss <laughs> um, <laughs> McDonald is, you know, legendary. She was in the thriller video. Like, she is hardcore legend. Um, she knows what she's talking about. Um, and so she calls me out center to the center and I performed the, the choreography. And, you know, here I am thinking I did just a wonderful job at this, you know, choreography. And she was like, did everyone see what India just did? And everyone's like, yeah. And she was like, don't do any of that. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> She's a savage. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. And Karen well, McDonald, I, that name is so familiar. It, it's, she has a school in LA? She has yes. a school in LA? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, so I went back and I told my mentor um, what happened because she had also uh, studied under uh, Karen McDonald because that's how, that's how legendary she is. And she's also uh, a lady of a lot of experience and seasoning. Mm -hmm. um, I have no idea how old she is because you can't I, I, I didn't want to say that. What you was I, to say. I have no idea. I know. I, I feel like she's. I feel like she's up there though. Um, she's still dancing, um, but she. But you know, you also can't tell with um, with older black people because, like, after sixty, it could really, literally, be anything. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. Right. <laughs> um, right. But uh, yeah, my, my mentor was like, yeah, she's never done that to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I'm very alone in this experience. But I mean, that's not even, it was, I, I laugh about it. Like it, I don't, it was embarrassing in the moment, but the moment quickly passed, you know. Um, she actually came to Fela, um, when we came to Los Angeles, she came and she said, she was like, Good job. Like, no, not a lot of emotion, oh, not gushing, not, it was just like, good job. And that was it. Tough. That was it. That was Man, it. that's what I'm saying. I'm still scared. I'm still scared of my old dance teacher. That's why I quit. All right. Well, this is the part of the episode where we're going to have to take a short break because uh, we got some, some bills to pay. So, uh, What's up, guys? It's Christina Kirkman, and I'm here to announce that I have officially dropped my own clothing line. 
yeah, I'm not sure how I got here either, but here we are doing the thing. So my brand is called Woman Child, and the name actually comes from my mom, who's been calling me that since I was a kid. A woman child is exactly what it sounds like, a dope, grown-ass woman who hasn't shied away from her childish, playful side. Now look, now more than ever, we can all afford to channel our youthful mindset, you know, the one that didn't give a damn about what anyone thought. Yeah, that one. Long story long, my collection has dropped and my pre-sale is happening right now. Yeah, like right now. So follow me on Instagram at woman.child and shop the pre-sale at womanchild.shop and I'll see you guys on the other side. And we are back. Episode... Fifty-five, actually, we're on episode fifty-five Ooh, right now. Nice. And uh, yeah, we got India McGee, yeah, Lee Boy TV, and you got me, Prime. And uh, we're just talking, really. Uh, India, The Wiz, the actual movie, The Wiz. What is your favorite song? Because you know. We um, like- okay, so it was uh, it was your score. It was the Poison Poppy, um, with the with the walking guitar. While the the poison poppies that were you know reimagined as uh, uh, streetwalkers in New York City in the film was my it's my favorite it's just it's it's very funky it's a groove you know my little five year old self was like I want to do that I want to wear those really high clear heels and I want to wear glitter on my face and I want to dance to that song. Okay. <laughs> no, nah, I can't even. What about you, Prime? Because you know we we're big fans of MJ and anything MJ do. So mm-hmm. I know you got an opinion. What's your favorite? You can't win. Say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you that song is just it's you know it's so much it encompasses the the black experience in America. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I can see why that touches so many heartstrings. And then also Michael Jackson. So. And of course, it's funky because that beat is the instrumental alone. Yeah. (laughs) What about you then, Lee? What is it? She want to ask us questions. You know what? I like, um, I can't make it think of the name of the song, but The the Wicked Witch. What is her? uh, Bad News? No, no bad news. Yeah. No, I just I don't know. I'm just an evil. I'm just always. Uh, <laughs> no, you like the gospel. You like the gospel element of it. You like that it right. takes the church. That's what you like. Well, that's a more positive way to say it. But I just like the evil characters usually. So I just kind of like get with that part of the whole film. That <laughs> she was running the whole thing. She wasn't playing no games. It's like a switch. So I always. Yeah, yeah. Get to work. All right. Um, I recently listened to, I'm jumping off the whiz, but I recently listened to um, Scar's Lament uh, for um, The Lion King. Mm. Um, And I listened to it in headphones and I had never done it before. I'd always just watched it on on the TV or whatever. And I listened to it in headphones. Sounds terrifying, don't it? They are going off. I was like, oh my gosh, this song is, this is the jam. How have I been sleeping on this song the whole time? The, it, the instrumentation is top tier. It is wonderful. Yeah, um, and Scar is that guy. Yeah, Scar is that guy Irons. too. Kill, Killmonger. All, yeah, I'm rocking with all the all the evils. <laughs> I read. I read something. I, I have to get better at memorizing um, articles. But there was something that was talking about like how villains are usually the best dressed in in films and going back she used a lot of examples but going back through um like for disney movies as well they also have the best songs mm-hmm. the, the villains have the like top tier songs so best costumes for when you're dealing with uh human characters and then best songs when you're dealing with um non-human characters and i think right. i think in the wiz she got a little bit of the both like her her throne was a toilet seat. Yeah, right. <laughs> she had that. She, she had like two hundred people on their hands and knees just worshiping her, like a scene out of uh, Coming to America or something, right? And <laughs> right. then, <laughs> and then, the, and then the in general, and, and in general, like you say, the antagonist, you have to, you got to sell them a little bit. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's why, right? Um, and then they have to explain themselves on why they're still, why they're bad, but they're still relatable. You can still, you know, mm-hmm. 
you can still relate to their experience. So it's a, it ends up being a good combination of things that appeal to me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you, Disney and everyone <laughs> else that takes that route. <laughs> I'm not out nah. here alone. I'm not the only. Nah, Scar. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. Scar is probably the best uh, drawn person in the movie or drawn character in that movie. It's like a black lion with a scar. Like I don't know, just look cool to me personally, aesthetically. Yeah. He had the the other ones were like blonde and kind of boring. Yeah. He was the one. He stood out. Um, I read some on something else that you know the the darker the lion's mane, the more uh, dominant he's supposed to be. So technically, you know, Scar should have been the more dominant uh, lion. Black power. No, because he had the jet black mane and he was darker furred, <laughs> darker skinned. Mm-hmm. So he should have been more dominant. So they, you know, a little bit of colonialism and racism snuck up into Disney and they made the dark character, the dark skinned character, the, the evil one. But, you know, in, in biology, he would technically be the, the more dominant one anyway. So. Dope. I mean, would you be upset if you're supposed to be king next day? All of a sudden, your brother or sister just had a son or a daughter, and now they now they in the place. I mean, that's, I mean that is how it works when you're dealing with um when you're dealing with the patriarchy. Like, if you have two two sons, the older one and all of their heirs are supposed to be the ones that are next in line for the throne. I mean, what's her face? Um, uh, queen Elizabeth was never supposed to be queen. Like she was the the daughter of the second son. So like their family was supposed to just be sitting back chilling. <laughs> it wasn't until the older brother absconded from the throne that put her in line. And then she was like, whoa, wait, I wasn't ready for all the, I thought I was just being raised as like just royalty in general. Um, but <laughs> speaking of people that's mad, I know her son is is furious. <laughs> he won't die. This man is like, is he is, is he seventy or almost eighty probably? <laughs> like, mom, I like, love you, but God, is she is going to? I I'm, I don't want to say that, but she is definitely. I feel like she's living on purpose. I definitely feel it. <laughs> she, she ain't letting it go. Not yeah, going nowhere. He ain't ready. I was uh, I was reading um, some of the they they're they're called the the slave monologues, but I mean I I feel like there should be a better better way of uh, labeling them. But people who were once enslaved, um, there there was a government system that went around in the 30s to collect stories from the people that were they were just starting to die off in during the Great Depression um, after having been born into or have lived at some point in time uh, enslaved. And there was this one woman that I read, um, she claimed that she was 121 years old. And they were like, that's not possible, ma'am. Like, it's impossible. And she was like, I was 60 when I got free. I was 60 during emancipation. Mm-hmm. So by 1930s, that would, that would mean she had lived another 60 years. Um, she said that she was, uh, she was in the garden when the, when the guy pulled up to interview her and she had a baby on her back and she was like, this is my great, great grandson. <laughs> He's like, the, the interviewer was like, ma'am, I, what's your great, great. And uh, she, the gist of what she said was that um, she said, I just got free at 60. I'll be damned if I die now. So she lived out of spite for the <laughs> for another 60 years. That is. <laughs> like, that is something. Going nowhere. I just got my freedom. I'm not dying. What are you talking about? I'm going to live free for as long as I lived as a slave. F out of here. Hey, that motivation is no joke, man. Exactly. You got the right motivation behind you. You can do great things. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just going to be here just raising all my great, great, greats. I'm just going to be here. Um, this is according to her. There's no way to verify how old she was. Yeah. Or- oh, yeah. Story was true, but I I believe it. Mm. <laughs> that seemed like something that would happen. Yeah, that seemed like something I, that would happen. I believe her too. I mean, and it seems like you're a real student of history and and, and also black culture. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, just based on talking to you for the last what thirty minutes, however long we've been on so far. Uh, so how has that been like being in such a obviously just for a second we'll go back to American Soul. How has it been being able to portray a role in such a historic time and like. Um, or a historic story 
in in African American history and um uh yeah, because I would just love to be in anything historic or or uh or bringing something back to life. Can you just talk uh, about what it means to you to portray a character from that time? Obviously, you're drawn from all different types of uh, people and you have a different motivation. But if you could just speak to us for that, that'd be great. Um, I love period pieces. Um, mm -hmm. uh, history nerd i love i always have um been a curious person where i've always wanted to know why or how we got to where we are right now in this position um and my parents are both educators um my mother was very strict in that everyone would think because my father was one in the military like oh that's the reason why you can't do anything my dad's a hippie um, my mom was very much like, you know, our children will have this sort of like regimented uh, life experience. And so like we couldn't watch TV during the week. We could only watch TV on the weekends. And I also have a lot of brothers and they wanted um, they wanted us to always like vote on things as as the children. And so I always got outvoted. Um, so I didn't watch a lot of TV um, on the weekends, but we were allowed to read and um, we were encouraged to read. So every, you know, um, every book in our house had something to do with blackness. My mother was also very concerned with her children um, who are brown skin or who vary in uh, shades from brown skin to dark skin that we wouldn't grow up with any sort of complex about our skin. So everything that was in the house was about how beautiful, how strong, how great, how courageous we as black people were, whether it was fiction or nonfiction. Um, so I just grew up just ingesting uh, black history. Um, whenever we had like Black History Month uh, assignments due, we could never do like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or Rosa mm -hmm. Parks. We had to go find someone else because all everybody else was always going to do those. Mm -hmm. We had to go find someone who we had never heard of. Um, you know, go look it up, go find them. I'll take you to the library because you know this is pre Google. Um, and you know, you're going to learn about someone new, what they invented, what they contributed to America as a whole. Um, and my, I guess my, uh, my love of history, my love of black culture, um, American history, you know, Central American history, wherever there were black people, I always wanted to like see um, or get to know more. Um, and that, in combination with um, like period pieces, just what we were, um, even what we were allowed to watch on the weekends, it still had to be edifying. It still had to be educational. Um, so, you know, watching musicals from, you know, the 40s and 50s, watching something like Stormy Weather and being like, oh my gosh, that iconic um, dance scene from the Nicholas Brothers where, they're, where they do it in one take and they're coming down the stairs. Um, Jumping over each other, yeah. <laughs> hitting the splits going crazy <laughs> um and you can see why in that in that they were just they were phenomenal so watching stuff like that and then always wanting to be a part of it not being not seeing what was going on you know in the in the 90s when we were growing up um but only being able to look back into the past and be like oh my gosh that's just so beautiful i love the way their skirts twirled i love the way the women postured themselves like lena horn was such a lady um watching stuff like anything Debbie Allen did. So like watching um, A Different World and how she was always um, putting um, musical acts and then um, having dancers or having the, the cast, you know, they were all triple threat. So having them dance or sing or step, um, watching stuff like School Days where they're, um, it's, it was current for that time, but for me, because I wasn't, you know, alive or I wasn't an adult in the 80s, this is a, now a period piece to me. Um, so taking all of those experiences, all of those, all of that curiosity, all of those desires, and then being able to actually, um, be a part of a period piece, be a part of, um, something that was so influential to the black community and, and all communities really, but was made specifically for us. And it ended up being, um, something that was, uh, momentous for everybody. Um, that was, I'm trying to think of a word that's big enough. Like it was, it was beyond amazing. It was beyond awe-inspiring. It was, it was really confirming and affirming. Fulfilling, fulfilling. 
Um, it was like, it was like, Oh, this is what I've been training for. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. all those years of reading all these books and, you know, you know, being able to pick out, um, Pat Davis. I mean, like, Oh my gosh, I love the way I love her groove. Um, being able to pick out, um, different dancers and say that I want to, I want to move like them. I want to, um, I want to dress like, I love her hair, like that high kick. Like that was, that was, that was awesome. Um, but I've always had a, I've always had a, a, a desire to do period pieces. I was in this, um, movie called Bolden. It was set in 1905. It's about, uh, Buddy Bolden, who was a cornet player, um, who pretty much laid the foundation for what became jazz um, and also what became funk later on. Like there's a lot of Buddy mm-hmm. Bolden in everything George Clinton does. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, like- You was waiting for her to say George Clinton, huh, Brian? He, he's, a big, <laughs> he's a big George Clinton fan. <laughs> he was like, I mean, mm, you better- <laughs> When we were learning the choreography, um, we were in Atlanta and we were learning the choreography, like, cause they were choreographing the club scene. So they didn't want it to look, you know, just like haphazard. We also had to do dances that were of the time, it's 1905. And seeing like how much we were like, it was a lot of partner dances, but how much we were grinding on each other and just, it was a very sensual time. And a lot of us like to believe that like, oh, you know, the, the girls nowadays, they're, they're so sexual. The children don't know anything about art. 1905 was nasty. And they wasn't, they didn't have indoor plumbing. So it was real nasty. Oh, it's some hoes in this house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. And Buddy Bolton was, was providing the instrumentation. He wanted to see the girls strip. He wanted to see you get sweaty. He wanted to see you grind on your partner. That was, that was purposeful. We've always been these people. So... Um, yeah, being a part of any period piece that I've done um, has always been uh, very affirming for me. Like this, that nerdy childhood that I that I had, missing out on what pop culture was at the time, but being um, immersed in our our black past, and then getting to bring it to our black present has always been great for me. Yeah, that's super dope, super dope. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad to have you on as a guest today because, I mean, we try to do as much uh, embodying of, you know, historic Black Hollywood as we can here from, you know, from the musical acts to the acting uh, and Prime, you know, Prime's big on that. He knows a lot of history. And me, I just love my people. I mean, so I'm just always willing to talk about that stuff. So thank you for breaking that down for us. Much appreciated. Prime. Take it, uh, get us back on track, bro. <laughs> nah, she was just talking about like period pieces and music at that time. Of course, that you've been on American Soul. Do you have like a favorite like musical artist that was there, like that set perform performed on the set? Oh, quote, that, that would be incredibly difficult. Um, there were so many that were so good. Um, that people that were in you talking about people mm-hmm. that were. Playing. That were at the Nasdaq, yeah, yeah. Okay, because um, I was like, because Kelly Price, come on. Uh, well, um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> come on. No, okay, I have a, have a sidebar. So, so I, was, <clears throat> I was asked to, you know, on the finale of the first season, they were like, we're going to have, we're going to have you, um, you know, we're going to do backup because somebody's going to drop out. And then we're gonna need you. Oh, to that's okay. You you jumping ahead, but sure, sure. We're like, Let's go. uh, you're gonna you're gonna do the backup vocals. You just need to go to the studio real quick. Babyface is gonna record you. I was like, excuse me, huh? What? Who's gonna record me? I you don't want me to just send in a voice note? Like you don't what? So I go to this stu- this sound stage that Whitney Houston used to mm. record in. Mm-hmm. Not feeling intimidated at all. No, just nah, like nah, nah. I'm here to do the I'm here to do the doo wops, the shoe wops, the shoop shoops. So it's fine. <laughs> and I get there. I'm early because I I am I don't want to be late, so I would rather be mad early. So I get there. I'm just sitting in my car, going over my parts because I'm gonna do the three part harmonies by myself. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I go in and um um. Caitlin is recording uh, a piece of uh, another song. Mm-hmm. She does hers, and Kelly Price is sitting in the in the in the 
just like the waiting area, listening to people, like encouraging her, being like, oh, okay, you can know, blah, blah, blah. So um, then Kelly goes in and she's just not even trying, just the most beautiful, like, ugh, her voice is just amazing. And then um, she tears it up, sets it on fire, you know, throws it away. And so then um, Mr. Face is like, all right, India, you're up next. Wait, you, you couldn't put me first? Like, <laughs> like I, I'm going after them? I'm just, I'm just here to do the shoop shoops. Like, it's, it's okay. Like, and so Kelly was like, oh, you sing too? Oh, I want to see this. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't hear me with that. Oh, you, you do that too? Oh, come on now. <laughs> My poor little <laughs> just stuck in my chest. Like, I don't know if I sing in front of y'all. So now producers from the show are coming in and they're just like, oh, we just want to see. Y'all didn't want to come in and see Kelly? Why does everybody want to come at my time? My time was last. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I do my shoop shoops and, you know, everyone is just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, she has, she has a cute little voice. That's fine. I, st- I stick around, more people are coming and doing their parts. And then, you know, like a week later, I get a call and they were like, Babyface really liked your voice. He wrote you a verse. And I was like, <clears throat> excuse me, what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who? who? Uh-huh. Um, and so I was, I was in LA and they were like, um, oh, that's even better because he has uh, his personal studio out in LA. So you can just go to that. Why are they saying it so nonchalant? Like, you could just pop in, like, here's his number, hit him on the hip first. (laughs) So I go, and there's Tony Boston, like, plaques and gold records everywhere. And I'm like, everything. All right, you know, I sang in front of Kelly Price and Babyface. So, like, you know, this is going to be fine. Um, And I sing it, and I sing it, you know, the way, uh, because they give you, like, a, a track with, um, someone else singing, like a studio person singing, but the person who was singing my my part was Mr. Face was singing my part. Oh, oh, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm singing it like him. He was like, you know, just make it your own. Just do do whatever you want. So I do. I had uh, my brother's a musician, so I like sang it for him a million times. And he was, you know, telling me which one that he thought was like, you should hit him with this. You should hit him with that. Hit him with this. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't I'm scared. Um... So I, I did it the way my brother had told me once and Babyface was like, oh, you could do that? Okay, so let's, um, let's uh, yeah, okay, do this. And so he, now he's directing me. We come up with this like really like great version. We film it. Um, um, Chris Robinson is the director that week. We film like all, all these just like, different angles and just close-ups and you know Fatim had given me choreography that's gonna like highlight like I'm in here singing and then we you know the finale comes out a couple months later and they cut the whole thing they cut yeah <laughs> <laughs> they playing they playing with your emotions that's what they did <laughs> my emotions <laughs> I'm watching it like <clears throat> Okay, I get that. I, I get it. All right, that's fine. Um, like, y'all did remember I went to Babyface Studio, right? I went to the studio, we was in there. No? Okay. All right, that's fine. But, I mean, I, I have that experience. Um, so, Kelly, I was really doing it for Kelly Price. Like, I wanted her to hear me and be like, okay, India. But mm. never got to hear that version, so... Um, did, did they at least give it to you on CD or something? I mean, I have the Dropbox. Um, I mean, because I had to learn, okay. I had to learn the song um, so that we could dance to it, um, so that Seema mm-hmm. choreographed to it, Seema and Adrian could choreograph to it. But as far as my favorite, I know that got off track. But my favorite musical act on the on the show, there were so many. I really loved working with Big Boy. Um, he played, Big, yeah, yeah, Big Boy. George Clinton was something else, man. Yeah, the he, whole episode, yeah. He did a wonderful job. I really enjoyed him. So um, outside of your connections to acting, have you ever taken any steps towards a singing career on your own? No. No, no, no. <laughs> Babyface, that was the last for her. That was yeah. right. Like, 
Um, I will sing if the character, you know, calls for it. But to go and pursue music on my own, you know, this, this, um, I've, I have, you know, family members that are musicians. I've, I've dated uh, people that were, um, that were pursuing careers or that were, mu that were musicians. And I see how one incredibly misogynistic the, the music industry is. Um, and I'm not, I know I'm not built for it. I have, um, it, it's, it's also a young person's game, unfortunately, in this country. Like, it, they want you at 16, 15, um, mm -hmm. which also plays into, you know, the, the issues that this country has with patriarchy. Um, mm -hmm. And that just has never, <laughs> that has never been, I've never, I've never had the desire to wade through that muck and mire at all. Um, You've seen, you seen the horror stories from up I've, close, yeah. <laughs> firsthand, and it's really, really mm -hmm. gross. I've seen um, one person I've always uh, admired was uh, Lauren Hill. And I told you I like, mm -hmm. to, I like to know the why and the how. And, you know, for her first album, or the only, the only album that she gave us, her solo album, for it to be so great, and for her to have such an emotional uh, breakdown afterwards, and never fully recovering, um, that that seemed like, it, it seemed odd. Like, how are these other people that have great albums, how are they able to, to survive as, as women? And then I was reading or hearing about some of the stuff that happened to her, and it was just, it was gross. It was incredibly, like, gross and toxic. Even that whole, the song that she had, um, about Zion when she's like kind of putting some of her pain in the music about like them telling her to get an abortion because she'll never have a career if she wants to be a mom. Um, and to see 20 years later, people were still doing that to Cardi B. Like, she's like, I'm, <laughs> I want to be a mother. Why is that something that is so wrong for me to pursue music and to also live a, a normal human life? And what a lot of, a lot of women which is a lot of people choose to do with their lives is become parents. Why is that something I can't have if I want to be a musical artist? Um, and so I'm, I've, never, I've never had a desire to pursue uh, music in that way for a myriad of reasons, but those two being the specific ones. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I love Lauryn Hill and that song Zion. I was just arguing with someone the other day that she's like, better than drake and they just looked at me crazy but you know i'm sure there's a lot of things <laughs> in the background that that kept her like you said from continuing on with her career because she's immensely talented there's no question about that yeah. um so we got to rise up and change something out here man so we can get our, our our people back on top man because yes it's not right for you not for for people not to want to pursue something just because of the ramifications from the industry it sucks it mm -hmm. sucks i know that I love music and I quit for almost the same reason. So <laughs> I was getting too old. I was like, ah, oh, nah, they're going to go get Soldier Boy or something. So <laughs> I mean, in other, in other uh, cultures, it's not the same. Like if Celia Cruz put out an album from the grave right now, Latin America would eat it up. Like they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Whereas, you know, for like most artists can maybe put out three or four albums in America before they're washed up before it's like oh we're tired of you we don't care about what you have to say you're out of touch no one no one wants to hear your new album like why like did you like them in 2003 why wouldn't you still like them in 2025 yeah didn't you grow as well right aren't we all right. growing together <laughs> right, exactly um mm -hmm. I mean it's in, especially in the in the urban spaces especially in the urban spaces because you see um well herb I don't like to use that word urban. I'll, I'll just say the black spaces because you look at rock music, which we started, but those guys, you know, those classic acts are going on forever, selling out arenas. People like the Eagles ain't gonna never stop, you know. But uh, when it comes to Busta Rhymes, you think he could sell out an arena? No. Well, <laughs> That's my I mean, guy. <laughs> but, the, but blackness isn't isn't monolithic because that would still be, I think, the hip hop space because. CeCe Winans put out an album, I think like two, three years ago and was selling out on her tours. So mm -hmm. like the gospel music space, if the Clark sisters wanted to put out an album right now, especially after that film, they could and they would do well. Um, but in, 
in spaces that have been commodified and monetized by people outside of the Black community, no, okay. we don't have longevity there. We have a short shelf life to them because they can only exploit us for so long before they get tired of us. And, and yeah, because they garner their own power. They want more to say. They want more control in their careers. And it's like, oh, we'll just get the next guy. So much exactly. easier. Exactly. He's on drugs anyway, so. You know. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, if if there are country music stars that can still put out I can still put out albums. Um, I don't remember her name. There's a young lady right now that's like taking uh, Spanish music by, by storm. She's a dark skinned black woman. Um, um, and the music scene like that. So you and like her voice, Morena, yeah. <laughs> her voice is beautiful. She's gorgeous. Her voice is gorgeous. And I feel like um, maybe after I think once, especially if we embrace her, um, I think that she'll have a very large, long lasting career because the Latinx community doesn't throw people away either. They, they stay mm-hmm. with you forever, forever and ever. Once they're a fan, they're and ever. Yeah. Shout out to Sarah, La Marina. <laughs> <laughs> Bigger up for the culture, yep. <laughs> Man, uh, can you let everybody know where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Indigo Mac, I-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-C. Um, on Twitter, um, you can just search my name, India McGee. Um, and I think those are the only two places that I am. Or you can go to my website, IndiaRMcGee.com. Oh, oh. I just have one follow-up question on that because it seems like you take um, a lot of, or you pay a lot of attention to some of those behind-the-scenes people. You know, like, their power and and um you're, you're paying attention to how they can move and shake behind the scenes do you have any plans on joining them yourself in either writing or doing choreography or um or do you uh, plan on affecting the acting business in a different way um yeah uh being behind the scenes i i really like um i really like watching other people grow. Sometimes, you know, auditions will come across my email that I don't think I'm great for, and I will definitely slide it to one of my homegirls who either doesn't have an agent or her agent didn't submit her for the project. And I'll be like, girl, I think you would be perfect for this. Um, And uh, so like producing has been attractive to me. I I have been able to come in on on my days off and just watch what everyone does. I was having a conversation with the head costumer. Her name is Rita McGee, no relation that we know of. Um, but Rita, Rita and Alita um, are the, the head costumers on American Soul. And they were always super, super encouraging on like um, knowing who I was as an artist, being clear about my voice as an artist. Um, they're huge collaborators as far as like the wardrobe. They, they built a whole closet for flow. Um, And so we would have these long sessions of like going through costuming, even without having a script, like what would, what would, what would Flo do? Would she wear something like this? How would she move in this? So there's just lots and lots of video of me dropping it down and like, "Mm, I don't think this is a, this isn't a flow movement type dress. She can't, she can't get low in this. Um, (laughs) This doesn't flow for flow, right? (laughs) Exactly. exactly. Um, But um sorry prime he's laughing at me (laughs) (laughs) but um but uh, being just being um very sturdy in my decision making they they were always very very encouraging of that and so um they, they also always encourage me to like make my own stuff like do my own thing and like see how it feels I've done a, a few short films um one uh my girlfriend Janae Hope wrote a sister friend of mine, um, she wrote this short and she asked me to direct it. And we ended up going to the Cannes Film Festival with it. Um, and it was it was a really dope experience. She and I went together uh, to represent the film. And that experience um, in hiring a crew um, and, you know, finding people in post-production that, you know, on a budget, coming up with the budget, all of that stuff made me more grateful as as uh, a performing artist, like a like as a dancer or as a actor, because there's so many more facets to this thing. Um, so it's like, oh, my job is 
easy. All I have to do is hit this step or all I have to do is make sure I have the proper uh, preparation to come in and say these lines and perform and work with my the person that's in, in the scene with me. I don't have to worry about the budget. I don't have to worry about the lights. I don't have to worry about anything else. I can just focus on this one thing. Um, and so my hope and my goal is to get into producing um, uh, on a larger scale. I still, um, I still produce or, you know, I'm part of the production when it comes to other people's short films. I'm producing a podcast. So like there's production is definitely in my future. Okay. As far as you getting back into it, since, since as far as you getting back into like watching TV and stuff, when you were allowed to just watch whatever you wanted, what's like a regular show that you watch on the regular? That's like, all right, this is become my new favorite show. Um, I mean, there was there were several. We we watched a lot of black television when we were watching television. So it was the Cosby Show, A Different World, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, um, Moesha. Sister, sister, everything that's on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. Sister, um, the Parkers after Moesha. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching Girlfriends and and like being like, well, I was too young to really be watching Girlfriends like that, but we were definitely watching Girlfriends. Um, Rock. Um, we watched Thea before Moesha. Um, what else? What else were we watching? Did you watch In the House, or was that kind of still In the House? But I mean, okay. so we definitely watched In the House. What else? I mean, if it was Black in the '90s, I didn't watch Martin. That was like my older, oh. my older siblings watched it because it was too grown for the younger. Yeah, people. yeah, understand. Um, but yeah, if it was Black in the '90s, we definitely, we definitely were allowed to watch that. See. You don't got me started on a conversation I can go all day with, literally. He <laughs> knows this. So, oh, now, yeah. you know. <laughs> now, I'm not going to go there. I'm going I'm to just, I'm going to try to condense it. Uh, do you have, like, a favorite moment in the show? A moment that, like, taught you anything in um, any show? The, the, the um, step team episode on, um, on A Different World. They did two of them. There was one with Jada Pinkett Smith, where she was like, 911 emergency, reconnect the community, that one. And there was also one where uh, Freddie couldn't learn the step for when she was, a, I think they were a freshman or sophomore. And then by the end of the episode, she's got it and she's like killing it. Um, those two episodes, of course, directed by Debbie Allen. So, duh, I love those. Um, um, there was the episode of Fresh Prince, which everyone has memed a million times, but where Ashley starts her singing career. <laughs> yeah, Will is- Carlton is back there, like <laughs> giving yeah. the sauce. Um, yeah. Also, when he danced on uh, when he danced so, on Soul Train, Soul Train? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, because like I knew Alfonso Ribeiro um, was a Broadway kid. Like he did the Pepsi commercial where he was playing the young Michael Jackson. He's a, an actual hoofer. Like he trained under like icons, legends. So I always knew he could actually dance and they were always just playing on that, but they let him go off on that, that episode. And it was great. Yeah. Um, uh, and the episode with him and Will too, when they were doing the, uh, they were doing the, uh, dun, 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 yeah. <laughs> they were the so, yeah. strippers. <laughs> Um, I mean a lot of the episodes that really impacted me as a little girl always had to do with music and dancing so um, whenever they had like a musical episode that and then the one Cosby the Cosby show episode where all the men were pregnant and um, all the women were just like not taking their pregnancy seriously Um, and I didn't know it at the time but you know, it was waking up the womanist in me of like, yeah, like what if men could get pregnant? Would y'all change these laws? Would it would there be, you know, a paid uh paternity leave that would that lasted two years? Like would how would things be different? And if they would be different, then um what you're saying is what we're getting as uh women is insufficient. It's not good enough. Um, and why is that? Um, but you know, episodes like that, uh I also, I like the behind the scenes, a lot of the Cosby um, 
behind the scenes because he was he empowered most of the children or I think all of them got an, ep an episode that they got to direct so like um Keisha Knight Pulliam did like one episode where it was like all Muppets um that was her idea um and then Malcolm Jamal Mo Malcolm Jamal Warner got an episode and that kind of like started his whole like oh snap yeah. like directing so he went off in that area just so like um knowing that about like oh like black people putting other black people on knowing that it is you know that the game is rigged against us and the only way that we can um that we can move ahead or or move up as if we do it for each other um that's some that's an idea that had had always stuck with me based off of like just that knowledge of the kids being able to direct an episode of the cosby show i mean you talk about Keisha Knight and Pulham, and I watched Polly because, you know. So, Polly, this whole, like, I didn't know anything about Polly coming in. So, then when I see, I see Vanessa Bell Calloway, Felicia Rashad, TK Carr, I was like, oh, it's a lot of people yeah. in this. Mm -hmm. But I was like, yeah, this, cause I never heard of Polly before, like, at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, getting into Polly, I was like, oh, this is actually very, very good. The songs are catchy. Of course, uh, the church scene was like funny for like no reason at all. Like it, it should not have been that funny. Should not have been that funny, but it I was. That that's how I mean, as a child growing up in uh, Pentecostal or Kojic churches, like that's what church seemed like to me. Like it was this whole, it was theater. Like. You know, you're going to have the one, the one lady who's going to get the shouting. She's going to fall out because she does it every Sunday or every other Sunday. And, you know, you have your mama in the choir stand threatening you from the choir stand because you're, you're playing with your siblings or one of the other kids from church and y'all are coloring and eating snacks. And there's a deacon that's fallen asleep and, you know, his coupe is falling off and then the whole church is going to go up because they're going to get happy. And this is going to be like, then everybody can, you know, enjoy the, um, the music. And then the kids are going to get to run around the church because um, brother so-and-so always takes off running around the church. So now we all going to get to run around the church. Like it, that was, she put choreography to it. But, you know, like little girls in their frilly socks and their gloves and their purses because their mothers, you know, adore them and want them to present a certain way at church. Like all of that, the women with the fans, all of that was a part of at least how I grew up in church. Um, and so Debbie Allen putting choreography to all of those funny moments or those uh, very specific uh, moments in church, I thought was genius. Okay. Yeah, I, I gotta watch some other. I gotta watch a lot of the other ones. Like all the ones you sent, I really had to watch. After watching Polly, not to say I didn't like it, but the, the feel of it, the first two minutes felt like a uh, a TV movie, which it was. But you know, it felt like that '80s mm -hmm. uh, TV movie, which understandable. Then I watched. I'm like, oh, that's actually very good. Yeah. But, what's the the main character? The boy's character name? Because I uh, swear, I think that's the same guy that played Michael Jackson. What's name? Jimmy. His name is Jimmy Bean on the on the show. Oh, I had a crush on him. Oh, him and Bumper Robinson. My whole childhood. Now, um, I think that's the same dude that played Michael Jackson in the Moonwalker. If you ever seen that, but mm -hmm. his character, I don't want to say like when he first started from where he ended, it was like, yeah, I don't like you because you a girl. And then at the end, he was like, actually, I do like you because you are a girl. And it was like, oh, it's just like, oh, it's just so, so cool, so sweet. He's the, but, uh, he's the same, it's the same actor that was in Sandlot. Okay, okay. The Heater, okay. yes. So just one, one more time, can you let everybody know where they can find you at? And then, uh. Okay, let's, let's see if I can do this in my, my pageant girl voice. <clears throat> uh, so you can find me. Um, at Indigo Mac, I-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-C on Instagram. My name, India McGee, um, on Twitter. And then you can always go check out my website. It's IndiaRMcGee.com. Yes. When we have India on again, we'll talk about everything because <laughs> she's getting up. She, she, she's getting aggressive over here, okay? I don't know if that blueberry <laughs> shape did anything. I don't I mean, know. I mean, they have matcha in it, so I'm hyped. I'm hyped. 
she hyped. But, uh, Lee Boy, you want to tell everybody where they can find you at? You good? Find me on uh, IG at Lee Boy TV, YouTube, Lee Boy TV, Twitter, Lee Boy TV. I'm on TV, or I used to be, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to get it across with my branding. But yeah, Lee Boy, holla at me. And Lee Boy and Fuzz coming soon. Okay. Uh, you can just follow me at KB Angie Prons. I'm usually here, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, India, you got any final, final words before we get out of here? I, I, I hope that everyone um, during this very strange um, and uncertain time is finding a way to relax, relate, and release. Um, and I, I hope everyone is drinking water and contacting someone that they love at some point in time um, to let them know how much they love them. Okay. That's nice. Back. Okay, got words, inspiring words from India. Okay. <laughs> well, if that's it, from me, from India, from Lee Boy, I gotta say, prime time is all the time. We will see y'all next week. Yeah.